It's a conspiracy. Blog Talk Radio. Kingway Fox Beer Locker's acting very weird Captain Pike, Cisco's wife, Klingons and the afterlife Boimler, Tendi's dog, Ransom is very hot Four drive, black alert, Giorgio has gone berserk Teacher, bad left, Edward is an idiot. Fuck is dead, Wolf is wed, Chekhov's wearing red. Peter's cat, Kim Pack's cat, you had had enough of that. Beam me up, make it so, everybody, let's go. We are Well, good evening, Trekkies and Trekkers around the globe. With that incredibly awesome, inspiring, uplifting song, it is time for an episode of Trek Talking, which means it's Thursday night, which means we are live for the next two hours, which means you can call 646-668-2433 and join the conversation. That's right, 646-668-2433. And you're definitely going to want to join this conversation. We've got so much to talk about. What a great time it is to be a Star Trek fan. We're definitely in the golden age of Star Trek, so... You definitely want to hang around with us. But before I get too far, let me introduce my Trek experts. Um, well, we'll start off with one who's not in Portland. And, of course, I'm talking about Charles. He's out in Vegas. How are you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing all right. A uh, little bit of wind blowing again today. It's supposed to be getting a little gusty. And now we're back up to 90s again. You know what? We're supposed to be back to 80s. 80s and a little cooler next week, so. Here in Vermont, it was beautiful. It was 64 degrees. I, I he got out of work, took my dog for a walk, came home, watched Strange New Worlds, and then had the podcast. So what a beautiful day it was. And now, let's go with our Portland trifecta. We'll start out with David. How you doing tonight, David? I'm good. Excellent, excellent. And we also have with us Paul, the wine guy, also from Portland. How are you doing tonight, Paul? Doing well, my friend. Doing well. Everything is in harmonious resonance. Yes, it doesn't get much better, does it? It does not. not. It's it's quite a week. (laughs) Quite a week. And last but definitely not least, and you'll never guess where he hails from. That's right, Portland as well. We have our very own Eric, who sang our theme song. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Uh, Jim, I am just happy to have made it out of the pattern buffer. I feel like I was stuck in there forever, uh, but I'm back out now and trying to reintegrate with society. So happy Trek Talking <laughs> Thursday. Yeah, it is a good one. Before we dive <laughs> into the show, I do want to let you guys know that Monday night at 7.30 on Trek Talking 2, which is actually our overflow show because Trek Talking is so busy we have to have a second podcast. Same bat time, same bat channel, 7.30 p.m. on Monday night. Eduardo Roman 
is going to be joining us. And he's the guy that played the mind meld Vulcan in the Star Trek Picard episode, Mercy. And he'll be joining us live on Monday night. So you can have your questions ready for him and give us a call. Same phone number, 646-668-2433 on Monday night at 730. Eduardo Roman will be with us. So you want to mark your calendars and give us a call for that one because that's going to be a lot of fun. So on tonight's show, we're going to definitely be talking about last week's episode of Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek. And we're going to have the Facebook scores from you guys, the fans, and compare them to ours and see how close we are to you guys. Um, We also have uh, some sad Star Trek news that uh, we're going to talk about. And LeVar Burton receives a Lifetime Achievement Award. Ethan Peck talks playing Spock. And Lower Decks is heading to home video. We also have our convention calendar, fan shout-outs, and as always, Star Trek birthday so we have a pretty busy show for you guys tonight we're gonna dive right in and get started here with our sad fan news shout out. Got sad news man come on yeah oh. we, we do we do oh. and we do uh, but before we get to the sad news we have a lot of good news to start with oh, starting goodness. off with our fan shout outs eric eric who do we want to shout out Oh, man, I am so excited about this. We have people from all over the world, as always, today. Uh, our very first fan shout-out this week goes to Ingo Dambach from Germany, uh, currently living in Mainz, right there on the banks of the River Rhine. So thank you so much for listening to us, Ingo Dambach, and uh, kapla to you. We're also saying hello this week to top fan Margie Ejkenar from Holland. And I'm always interested in, in the people from Holland and which ones say they're from Holland and which ones say they're from the Netherlands. There's got to be some cultural thing of which I'm not aware there. Or maybe they just like to use both. So, hi, Margie, top fan. Thank you so much for interacting with us a ton on our Facebook page. And a big shout-out goes out to you. We're also sending out a big shout-out to Nick Vasilikas from Athens, Greece, one of those places I've always wanted to go and never quite made it. And as an architect... I feel like I kind of need to go there, right? So, Nick, maybe we'll meet up one day, uh, brother, and talk about Star Trek in your hometown. We are also shouting out Andreas Steinkzenar this week. Guess where they are from? Bavaria, Germany. That's right. Uh, that's pretty German last name. And they give us a little alien emoji, a little live long and prosper, and something in the middle. What is that, a dolphin? I can't even tell. Uh, but Bavaria, I hear, is lovely. And, of course, uh, they make lovely ham right there, as I believe. So, Andreas, thank you so much for listening to us. And my final fan shout-out goes out to Sam Pirelli from Die Schweiz, Switzerland. Sam, thank you so much for listening to us as well. Charles, who would you like to say hello to? Well, I'll start off with Sean Brunson from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Frederick Moore from Central Texas. I guess that must be dead center. They don't want to be northern or southern. They got to be in the middle. Beverly Heiss from Kentucky. Oh, I wonder if they know Shannon. Beverly Curtis from California. Pretty general at the big state. Robert Holtkoff from. Okay, Jim got From me in there. Good old, good old Adelaide. We have had Adelaide, 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 Adelaide. Australia. Yep, thank you. Uh, 
What about you, Paul? Maybe somebody near you? Oh, we've got some folks, my friend. We have all kinds of folks from near and far away from our location. Just down the road from where I'm sitting right now, we would like to thank Major Harris from the lovely town of Sheridan, Oregon. If I was to open this window and yell really loud, it's possible Major just might hear my voice. I'm not going to try that right now because, you know, it's a little rainy. Sound doesn't travel as well as you'd like it to be. But, uh, but Major, we're right down from you, my friend, and thank you for listening. Top fan Michelle Chito in the northeastern part of the great state of Ohio. Always exciting things going on there. Thank you for being a fan, and thank you for lending us your ears every week. Noesis Mantica is a trekker and is from the fabulous Verona, Italy, in the Veneto. All kinds of amazing wines and amazing cuisine where... Noesis is residing. I can't wait to get to that part of the world myself someday. So you are a fortunate resident indeed. And a great shout out to Stuart John Coxon from Lianduno, North Wales. I am probably mispronouncing that, Stuart. I know Welsh is an extremely challenging language for some of us to pronounce sometimes, but uh, a lovely and magical part of the world to be sure. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in on the other side of the globe, and it's great to see that there is love for Star Trek all over the planet, including from listener on the other side of the equator in Brazil to Jorge Costa de Araujo. Jorge, thank you so much for listening, and thank you for being a fan. We truly appreciate all of you. Shooting the uh, laser beams over to my friend Jim. Jim, you got some uh, all kinds of action in your proximity there. Oh yeah, we want to say thank you to Michael Christopher Gordon, who's in the Bronx, New York, listening, which is also where our good buddy Ray resides from. So we hope you're doing well, Ray, and thank you for listening, Michael in Bronx, New York. We also want to give a huge fan shout out and thank you to John Kurtz. From New York by way of Ohio, currently living in Kentucky. That's a nice roundabout way. So thank you for listening to John. We want to say kapla to Alan Steele from Belshill, Central Scotland. Thank you for listening. Kathy Baker from Australia. And last but not least, we'd like to say thank you for listening and live long and prosper to Jim Cliff from Midlands in the U.K., so that wraps up our fan shout-out, guys. If you'd like to hear your name uh, listed on a future fan shout-out, you can visit our Facebook page at Trek Talking and Beyond. Spell that all out. At the very top of the page, you'll see the Live Long and Prosper. Just stop in there. Tell us where you're listening from. If you see a heart next to your name from yours truly, Uncle Jim, then you want to tune into the next podcast because your name will be shouted out and be remembered through the eons on this podcast. So we have a lot coming up, but next we have our Star Trek birthdays. And in honor of tonight's premiere of Strange New Worlds, we're going to go to commercial with this. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds 
to seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Everybody enjoyed Strange New Worlds. We'll be talking about the premiere episode of Strange New Worlds entitled Strange New Worlds on next week's podcast. So please join us for that. I love Anthem Out. I love that song. It's it's growing on me rather rapidly. So guys, this is our part of the show where we do our Star Trek birthdays, which means we have to sing Happy Birthday to Worf. That was not a Klingon song. No, it's not, but Grumpy Wharf says that every week, but we love him anyways. We always start off our Star Trek birthdays by remembering those who, sadly enough, are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, Jim, uh, our very first remembrance this week goes out to actor Theodore Beichel, uh, who played the role of Sergei Rojenko uh, in TNG's family. That, of course, is uh, Worf's father. Uh, great episode. Great to, uh, you know, have his family in a couple of different episodes, but that one in particular uh, stands out to me. And uh, Theodore Beichel was also, of course, known, actually Oscar nominated uh, for his performance in the 1958 classic film, uh, The Defiant Ones. So a great actor, and uh, he is missed, sadly. Uh, We're also remembering this week John Neville, who played Sir Isaac Newton in TNG's episode Descent. Uh, What a cool character to be able to play on the holodeck there. He's also known, of course, as the well-manicured man on X-Files. And I know we were just recently talking about X-Files a little bit with Jim's trip to the museum there. But I actually first became aware of John Neville um, way back in the day for his performance in The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, uh, where he plays the Baron. So there you go. Uh, He's been all over the place. Very famous actor, very great actor and a great role for him. So happy birthday, John Neville. We're also remembering Lance Legault this week, uh, a great Klingon, uh, played Katemok in TNG's episode The Emissary, uh, also known for his reoccurring role 
as Colonel Decker on the A team. Dun, 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 dun. So happy birthday to Lance Legault, uh, and remembrances going out to you. Uh, we're also remembering this week actor Don Marshall, who played Lieutenant Boma in TOS's episode The Galileo 7, one that I, I like to talk about every once in a while. Uh, that's a great episode. Uh, and uh, he actually was known for a reoccurring role on Land of the Giants back in the day. Uh, so not a, not a show with which I was familiar, but I'm familiar with it existing out there. So happy birthday to Don. Uh, we're also saying happy birthday this week to actress Mary Carver, who played Nadette and Bernadette Fuller on Enterprise's Terra Nova, uh, another great episode of Enterprise. You know, I feel like I often say another great episode of Enterprise, but that might be my bias. She was also the mom on Simon and Simon from 1981 to 1989. So you may have known her from that role. Happy birthday to Mary. We're also saying happy birthday this week to Barry Rousseau, uh, who has a couple of uh, appearances here. He played Lieutenant Commander Giotto in TOS's episode, The Devil in the Dark, one of my personal top five TOS episodes. And Commodore Bob Wesley in TOS's episode, The Ultimate Computer, another fine episode. Uh, and he had several uh, guest appearances on myriad shows throughout the 60s. Uh, so one of those actors whose face you've probably seen somewhere. Barry Rousseau would have had a birthday this week. We're also saying happy birthday to Bob Johnson, who played the voice of the first Talosian in The Cage. And I imagine we might bring up uh, The Cage a little bit next week uh, in context of Strange New Worlds. So happy birthday to Bob Johnson. Uh, but not only is he known as that voice, he's also known, you guys, as the voice of Control in the original Mission Impossible and then uh, as the voice on the disc for the 1980s revival of that show. So happy birthday to Robert Johnson, great voice actor. Uh, Jean Ball would have had a birthday this week. She played Nancy Crater in TOS's episode, The Man Trap. Uh, also uh, made a couple of other appearances throughout the 80s, Perry Mason, that sort of thing. Actor Walker Boone would have had a birthday this week. Lieutenant Commander Leland T. Lynch on TNG's episode Skin of Evil. Uh, we don't talk about that episode, but happy birthday to Walker Boone. And finally, happy birthday to John S. Reagan, who played Dr. Christopher in TNG's episode Suspicions. Uh, unfortunately, this performance would be his last. Uh, we lost him in 2013. So happy birthday to John S. Reagan, and happy birthday to all of our Star Trek family who have gone before us who would have had birthdays this week. Uh, Charles, why don't you kick off our birthdays of folks who are still with us? Okay, and I don't have to, I don't have to go through so many breaths as Eric does. Let's start off with Doug Warhit. He played Kazago in TNG's The Battle. Jeff Lester played an FBI investigator in Star Trek for The Voyage Home. Having to spend a little time on those nuclear battles. David Power played Jeffrey, Jeffrey Pierce in Enterprise's Borderlands. Galvin or Hersley played Jabin in Boy's Caretaker. Nice little opener for Boy. Dennis Prehan played Lewis in TNG's Family. Boy, I guess we're going to be talking about Family. Maybe we ought to talk about that episode one of these days. 
And then finally, Mark Alamo, I think I got the name right, who played many a good characters. Let's start off with Gal Musette in TNG The Wounded. T-Bok uh, in TNG's The Neutral Zone. But we most know him very well in DS9, as do Cox, our favorite Cardassian to hate. But he put some good Cardassians in there. Paul, how about your list? Thank you, my friend. We've got all kinds of folks that are uh, populating uh, the lovely uh, week of birthdays here. Uh, first of all, happy birthday to Todd Waring, who played Ensign to Curtis on the Deep Space Nine episode Whispers, but was also in another Deep Space Nine episode, Change of Heart, where uh, they played uh, Glenn Lassaren. So a couple of different appearances on that corner of the franchise there. Happy birthday, Todd. Also, uh, greetings to Tom Clunas, uh, Lamone identity assumed by Ibudan, just to clarify that, also on Deep Space Nine in the episode A Man Alone. We have all kinds of Deep Space Nine stuff going on here, it seems, including Leslie Jordan, who played Cole on the uh, episode False Prophet, Joseph Fuqua, played Paul Gordon on the Deep Space Nine episode Rocks and Shoals. And now we're getting into some other more recognizable names here. A great big bodacious happy birthday to the always wonderful Kirsten Dunst, who played Hedril on the Next Gen episode Dark Pages. You, of course, also know her from many, many motion pictures, including the uh, original Sam Raimi Spider-Man. Uh, melancholia, and interview with the vampire. So a very happy birthday to you, Ms. Dunst. And a rollicking, rip-roaring, completely out-of-control birthday greeting to the legendary John Rice Davies, who, of course, we know from Voyager, where he played the hologram version of Leonardo da Vinci. But John Rice Davies has been in dang near everything and is so incredibly populated throughout the realms of fantasy and science fiction. He, of course, played Gimli and voiced Treebeard in the Lord of the Rings trilogy and was in Raiders of the Lost Ark as Indy's boon companion, Sala. (laughs) I'm so pleased you're not dead, my friends. I literally cannot think of his face without thinking of that role. Indy! (laughs) (laughs) Dates. Bad dates. Asps, very dangerous. Wonderful, <laughs> wonderful actor. So happy birthday to all of you fine folks here. And oh, you think that's it? By no chance is that it. Because Jim's got yet more birthdays. Take it away, Jim. Yeah, I just wanted to say one one little thing about uh, John here is that he also starred with another Star Trek alumnus on a TV show called Sliders. He was on that show with Jerry O'Connell, who, of course, does the voice of Ransom on Lower Deck. So I wanted to throw that out there as well. He, But you're right. He's been on everything. <laughs> if you look, you'll see him. So on to my birthdays. We would like to say happy birthday to Tina Lifford, who played. And oddly enough, we talked about this episode 
was it last week? Uh, she was hostage Lee on DS9's Past Tense Part 1 and 2. She's the hostage that Dr. Bashir gives the um, med- medicine to. So happy birthday. Yeah. Uh, this next one, just wow. We'd like to say happy birthday to Brian Tachi. And who is he? Well, he's not from a very <laughs> memorable Star Trek episode. Uh, he was one of the children in the TOS episode, and the children shall lead. We'll forget about that one. But 20 years later, he played Ensign Lin in TNG's Night Terrors, a much better episode. But that's not what I think you guys might know him from, especially no. if you're long on the tooth, like me. Um, if you grew up watching the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and if you saw the original movies that came out in the 90s, then you definitely know him because he was the voice of Leonardo, which is really cool. But wait, there's more. The 80s were huge for pop culture movies. This particular movie played at the drive-in, I swear to God, every single solitary weekend because back then we didn't have VHS, we didn't have HBO, we didn't have all this stuff. You went to the drive-in to see a movie. And every weekend they'd play a new movie and an old movie. And I swear I must have seen this movie with my wife 15 or 20 times. It was playing with everything. And uh, so I have the movie memorized. You guys probably have seen it a gajillion times yourself. But um, he played Takashi in Revenge of the Nerds, which is a classic. Nerd! (laughs) Wait, wait, we're not done. Oh, no, no. Speaking of huge movies from the 80s, I'm pretty sure this next one played with Revenge of the Nerds at the drive-in as well, because this next one spawned, I think, seven spinoffs, I believe. They're just endless. Um, But uh, he also played Nagata in the Police Academy movies. So there's an 80s flashback for you. Everything from Revenge of the Nerds, Police Academy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Modi Bidabada, and Star Trek. (laughs) (laughs) All in one. So happy birthday. (laughs) Turtle power. Turtles in a half shell. All right, so now we get down to some really good ones. Uh, We want to say happy birthday to a guy who was the captain of the Stargazer and currently plays Captain Rios on Star Trek Picard, Santiago Cabrera. Happy birthday. And I wish I could have given this next one to Eric. In fact, fact, you know what? You know what? I'm going to totally break precedent here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Eric, who's our next birthday? Go ahead. I know this person's not dead, so, but I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and do it. Well, it is very, thank you. That was a very nice treat. Um, So happy birthday and a huge shout out uh, goes out to one of my favorite captains of all time, uh, Kate Mulgrew, of course, known for Captain Catherine Janeway. uh, And she played that role of course most famously in voyager do not forget that she shows up briefly in tng as well and then uh she has had a huge resurgence lately uh with star trek prodigy and i will tell you that um paul and i have gotten together 
myriad times and talked about how much we like that show, how awesome we think it is, how much we think it just uh, is steeped in the in the ethos of Star Trek itself. And uh, and I think Kate's performance in that show is amazing. But but wait, uh, there's more <laughs> because of course another amazing role for her uh, was the role of Red, the cook. Uh, the grizzly cook uh, slash, you know, person who knows everything in orange is the new black. Uh, fantastic roles for her. I love Kate. I love listening to her talk. I love listening to her talk about her craft, her characters, uh, everything. So happy birthday, Kate Mulgrew. Thank you, Jim. I pass it back to you for the best and last. And you know what? I Oddly enough, I was watching another one of those 80s flashbacks movies because, like, I'm stuck in the 80s. I was watching Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. It also <laughs> ended there as well. But at any rate, I'm watching Remo Williams, and who do you think shows up as the military officer that helps them escape? Kate Mulgrew. Kate Mulgrew. I was like, right. wow, she's everywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, happy birthday to Kate. And I always, always, always save the Klingons for last. That's just my thing, you know, I'm into Klingons. So, you know, I wave my ballots around, they come and touch it. So I always save the Klingons for last. So um, this next guy has played more than just a Klingon. Uh, we'd like to say happy birthday to Ron Canada, uh, who is on a show that shall not be named, but he also played Martin in TNG's The Masterpiece Society. And he played Fesk in Voice Juggernaut. And the reason why I'm mentioning him tonight is he played Chapak in DS9's Rules of Engagement, which was a great episode with Worf being put on trial. And Chapak was a, um, a uh, lawyer trying to uh, get Worf, which, of course, he didn't. So that wraps up our birthdays, guys. Wow, except what a Jim, list, huh? Except, Jim, I'm going to say, we love you, Orville. Thank you, Ron Canada. Woo! <laughs> I was wondering if that was a show that would not be named. Yes, that's the show that it. will not be named. I see, I see. The most exciting thing for me about this segment was, I, I love, because it's like, if you just listen, you get to mine all this information about your co-hosts, right? It's fantastic. And tonight I learned that my friend Eric has never seen an episode of Land of the Giants Mm-mm, never. Wow, that is that. I've seen you like enact Gilligan's Island episodes, and yet you have not seen Land of the Giant. This is just, baffling to me. But it must have been on during dinner or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, fascinating. That's what Paul learned this week, friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure was... Paul will remedy that lickety split. I'm sure he's got it on a on a DVD somewhere in that amazing <laughs> basement of his. Never, never. Uh, you don't know what <laughs> you're talking later, about. <laughs> Well, guys, we're not done yet because uh, coming up next, we have our convention calendar. So let's go to break with this old classic. Trek Talking, all things Star Trek and beyond. Thursday night, 7.30 to 9.30, all hailing frequencies are open. iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever fine podcasts are found. Track talking, boldly going wherever your mind is willing to go. And 
And we're back, and it's time for convention, 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 convention. Calendar, 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 calendar. And I just want to remind you guys one more time that we are live, and our phone number here is 646-668-2433. I just saw a caller on the line that popped up during our birthdays and disappeared before I could get to you. So please, listener, give us a call back, 646-668-2433. And as soon as I see your hand go up, I'll get you on the air. So, Eric, why don't you start off our convention calendar for us? Oh, man, we got some good ones, Jim. Uh, Our very first convention this week is Sequestria Fest. And if you're wondering... My friends, that is a My Little Pony convention, and I might even stop by if I was in the area May 13th through the 15th at the Grand Hotel and Spa in Ocean City, Maryland. We're also checking out Spookala May 13th through the 15th, the same weekend at the World Equestrian Center in Ocala, Florida. We're also checking out Big Lick Comic Con Nova May 14th through the 15th at the Dulles Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia. And finally, up around the way by Jim Saratoga Comic Con, May 14th through the 15th at Saratoga Springs City Center, Saratoga Springs, New York. Paul, I, which convention? I had oh, yeah. the last you Star Trek convention yeah. that I ran <laughs> in 1993. I had at the Saratoga Springs Convention nice. Center, by the way. So just throw that out there. I figured you had a connection. That's why the dramatic pause before calling in Paul, because I figured you you may have had a connection there. Yeah. I, and, that, and if you have ever heard the um, the General Martok wine song that I play from time to time on the oh, podcast. Oh, that from that one? Yeah. That's recorded from that convention. That's where I met him. So, nice. yeah, there you have it. <laughs> that was a good one. All right, Paul, take it away, buddy. See, it's not just Strange New Worlds. It's a small world, at least in the uh, Saratoga Springs uh, comic universe. Pretty funny the way that works. Mm -hmm. Friends, book your airfare now, because you will be flying to fabulous Buenos Aires, Argentina, for the 2022 Argentina Comic Con, May 20th to 22nd at Centro Costa Salguero in Buenos Aires. That's is a con I would be thrilled and delighted to attend. Just imagine all those Argentinian wines, all that Malbec, all that Tempranillo, all that Bonarda. Oh, I want to go. I want to go to that con. But I might have to settle for something more local, like Crypticon, Seattle, 2022, also, the week of May 20th to 22nd at the Doubletree Hotel Seattle Airport in Seattle. It doesn't quite capture my palate's imagination the way Buenos Aires does, Seattle. I'm sorry. I love the Doubletree Hotel, but you just can't compete with Buenos Aires. It's, uh, it's a tough one, I'm sure, as you would even uh, yourself admit. Another uh, fabulous destination in beautiful A Coruña, Spain, is Expotaku A Coruña. Also, May 20th through 22nd, and Recinto Ferial, Expo Coruña, in beautiful, beautiful Spain. Incredible locations there, friends. It's on the Galicia region in the northwest there. I believe there's a very famous Roman lighthouse 
uh, is still uh, standing. That's uh, a quite fabulous vista that folks should definitely uh, go check out if you're fortunate enough to attend that particular con. And on the other side of the planet, because the planet has many, many Star Trek fans, as we know, you could find yourself at Otaki, New Zealand, right there, right? And May 20th to 22nd, it's a Forest Lakes Camping and Conference Center in Otaki, New Zealand. Can you imagine going to a comic convention and camping at the same time? I don't know if I can, but I would love to find out. You'll be rubbing elbows with all kinds of Lord of the Rings or Desidents and Denizens and all kinds of folk there. So be on your best behavior and uh, get your badges now. I'll pass it over to my friend in swelteringly hot, crazy Las Vegas. Charles, where you going, baby? Where you going? Uh, I want to go visit and go see that crosswalk. I want to go to Comic-Con Liverpool, May 21st and 22nd, Exhibition Center, Liverpool, Liverpool, UK. Got to go see where those famous bugs came from. Then we got Desmos Con, May, also May 21st and 22nd, Iowa Convention Center, High V Hall, Desmond, Iowa. Conquest, May 27th and 29th, Sheraton, Kansas City Hotel at Crown Center, Kansas City, Fanboy Expo, Columbus Convention, May 27th and 29th, Greater Columbus Convention Center, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, that's a mouthful. What else should we be doing on May 27th, Jim? Well, maybe we can go to Phoenix Fan Fusion, May 27th to 29th at the Phoenix Convention Center in Phoenix, Arizona. Or perhaps the same weekend, you could go to Thy Kingdom Come. I'm sorry, Thy Kingdom Con in Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oak, Pennsylvania. Interesting. Keep thy geek, thy geek, keep geek. Thy geek Tom Con. Con. (laughs) I don't know why I can't say that, but there you have it. Uh, It is going on at the Greater Philadelphia Expo Center in Oaks, Pennsylvania. Check that out. We also have Balticon, May 27th to the 30th at the Renaissance Baltimore Harbor Palace Hotel in Baltimore, Maryland. Wasn't he one of the lesser Transformers, Jim? Balticon? Like, he, it's, it's, it's possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a, he, you know, transforms into a corrupt municipality. I'm pretty sure that's how it works, right? No, no, no. no? It's, a, it's a giant robin. It's a giant, a giant. robin. It's <laughs> He's the left leg of the giant robin. There you have it. <laughs> Baltica, you no. You can't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're right. not. And last but not least on our convention calendar for this week, we're following WishCon, May 27th to the 30th at the Madison Concourse Hotel and Governor's Club in Madison, Wisconsin. So that wraps up our convention calendar. Please check with the event to make sure it's still being held. And you can probably find further information by doing a quick search on the Internet as to prices, availability, stars. 
Well, guys, coming up next, we have Star Trek news. And speaking of Saratoga Comic-Con, and speaking of General Martok's Warnog song, guess what? I'm going to play you into our next commercial with my very first meeting with the man himself when I asked him, do you really speak Klingon on Deep Space Nine? And he said to me, absolutely. And he sang this song. So here it is recorded live at Saratoga Comic Con in the year of Bloody Bobby Ba. Here it is, the General Martok War Song. Okay, now we're going. This is the Klingon Warriors Anthem. I played the General Martok on Deep Space Nine. And this is how this goes. And we're back. And uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. It was it was pretty interesting, actually. I was I was shocked when he started banging his Coca Cola can on the table and singing Klingon, but I loved it nonetheless. I didn't have a batlet at the time for him to touch, but it was still really, really cool to have General Martok sing the Klingon war song for me. Well, guys, it's time for Star Trek. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Incoming transmission. Enter authorization code. Command codes verified. Define parameters of program. Level 9 authorization required. Specify parameters. Transfer of data is complete. All right, guys, all the news stories that we're going to talk about tonight have been condensed by yours truly, Uncle Jim. You can find the full stories on Abridged on our Facebook page, Trek Talking and Beyond. And Eric, you have some sad news to start off with the show. Yeah, unfortunately, this week we have added uh, someone to our remembrance list, Harry Livingston, the uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture screenwriter. Uh, has died at age 97. Harold Livingston, an American novelist who wrote the screenplay for Star Trek The Motion Picture in 1979, died early Thursday morning. Bobby Livingston confirmed to Variety. He was 97. Star Trek The Motion Picture was Livingston's most famous writing credits. The film was successful at the box office, earning $139 million worldwide from a $44 million budget. And Paramount ordered a follow-up Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan, which was well-received critics and fans. Livingston wrote for several TV series across the 60s, 70s, and 80s, such as Mission Impossible, Blue Light, Run for Your Life, Iron Horse, to uh, The Hell with Heroes, The Name of the Game, The Magician, The Six Million Dollar Man, Barbary Coast, The Fantastic Journey, Fantasy Island, Future Cop. He also published several novels, including The Coasts of the Earth, The Detroiters, The Climacticon, another one of those evil Transformers, Ride a Tiger, a novel, Touch the Sky, To Die in Babylon, and No Trophy, No Sword. 
Before becoming a writer, Livingston was one of the founding members of the Israeli Air Force and played a key part in ensuring Israel's victory during the 1948 Arab-Israeli War. He also worked as a radio operator for aircraft navigational purposes. So uh, certainly a giant uh, and a long-lived giant of the Star Trek world, Harold Livingston, unfortunately lost this week. So, Charles, uh, what is the next news story you'd like to share with us? LeVar Burton, he received Lifetime Achievement Emmy Award. LeVar Burton is a national treasure. Yes, he is. And the world is recognized that by bestowing more awards on the former Star Trek Next Generation star. The National Academy of Television, Arts, and Sciences has announced They'll be honoring LeVar Burton for his work on the children's program Reading Rainbow with a Lifetime Achievement Award at their first ever Children's and Family Emmy Awards ceremony, which is part of the Daytime Emmy Awards series. The ceremony will be held on December 11th in Los Angeles. Burton has already picked up a dozen Daytime Emmy Awards for his work on Reading Rainbow Alone. The PBS series promoting Reading for Kids ran for 21 seasons from 1983 to 2006, all hosted by Burton, who was also an executive producer. On Monday, he was in Las Vegas at the National Association of Broadcasters' annual NAB show, where he was honored with the first-ever Inside Award from the Library of American Broadcasting Foundation. The reward, the reward was in recognition of extraordinary contributions to broadcasting history and American culture. And for quite a few years, there would be days I would come home from work, want to stretch out my legs, turn on the TV, Oh, let's go to PBS. Yeah, let's go see what Ron Reading Rainbow. Let's see what new books are out there. And he did a fabulous job with all the books he'd sat there and do. And I have kid recommendations on what picture books they recommended. It was really a promotion to get kids to read. He's well earned that award. Everybody agree? Oh yeah. Yep, without oh, yeah. a doubt. Yeah, I mean Definitely. It's, it's cool. He's he's like they said, he's gotten he's gotten some in the past, but yeah, I love to see him being recognized for that particular um show. Because, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> pretty culturally fact, advancing and changing, you know. In fact, when he finished reading Rainbow, I think not long after that when a podcast popped up that was LeVar Burton Reads mm-hmm. and he was picking up some more adult adult titles because of his fans. His fans still wanted to hear him read. And I have to tell you that if you are a fan of uh, science fiction short stories, that is absolutely one that I would recommend. I'm a subscriber and uh, it is fun to hear him read those stories and uh, and he only picks the ones that that he really likes. And uh, most of them are by authors that I have been introduced to through that show. So that's been kind of fun too. Absolutely. So Paul, who have you got, what story do you have? 
Well, Charles, we have a, uh, a snippet of an interview, actually, that we're going to be uh, uh, reading through here uh, with Ethan Peck. And uh, Ethan Peck talks about listening to Leonard Nimoy's voice to get the Spock right, if you will, for Star Trek Strange New World, a show that maybe we've been hearing a little bit about this week. So right now, we'll basically present this, uh, this, uh, his thoughts in the form of this interview. Starting off with the question, what were the challenges you faced in bringing Spock to life on Pike's Enterprise, making him your own, while still being true to the original Spock? That's a complicated question to answer. I would say that I'm still challenged every single day. I think I'm more comfortable at this point in time with the onus of being the custodian of this character, but I still read things in scripts that I get, and I'm like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this or how it will be true to Spock. Because what's fun about him is that he does sort of live within these boundaries, and then to place him in a scenario that he shouldn't be in or is really uncomfortable. And that's when I think really cool things start to happen with the character. And I hope in my performance of the character, but constantly I'm revisiting. I say sort of crazily, literally Leonard Nimoy's voice in my head when I'm doing a lot of these scenes. How did you uh, deconstruct the role of Spock from only seeing the Nimoy end result? It's just been a very delicate and thoughtful process. I, I don't think I was able to be the Spock that you see in the original series a couple of years ago when I first got the role. I think even now I might be, in my opinion, touching on the more full spirit of that version of Spock. But I myself am in a place of development in my own life that I think really lends itself to this iteration of Spock. There's a musical scene where Uhura and Spock are matching notes on the show. Did you have to do any kind of vocal training to sort match each other's sounds? Celia Rose Gooding, who plays Uhura, is just an incredibly impressive and talented person. But, but she's an incredibly talented singer as well. So I just did my best to kind of like sneak in behind her beautiful singing. I myself was trained uh, as a classical musician. I played cello growing up, so I'm not totally tone deaf, I hope. But in terms of singing, yeah, I was quite nervous about that, and we practiced quite a lot. On the production side, how has shooting Strange New Worlds been different than your time on Star Trek Discovery? Hmm. Well, firstly, the shows are just so different in, in so many ways. I think the, the DNA is the same. Gene Roddenberry's vision, I think, is very much a part of both shows, which is one of inclusion, of celebration, of diversity, of curiosity, sort of harmonious existence between vastly different peoples and ideas. But just by the look, the shows are very different. The tones are different. The colors on the sets of the ships and our show, Strange New World, is episodic which is something that we're all really excited about. I hope that our episodes can be like that for people who will convert a lot of fans to our show into the Star Trek universe, because there are so many great iterations of it that have already been made and exist and are ready to be seen. And as a reminder, friends, that first season of Star Trek Strange New Worlds arrived on Paramount Plus today. 
you can sit down right now in the United States and watch that stuff. And if you're in other parts of the globe uh, who have not yet had it, it sounds like it is rolling out promptly. And judging from what we are getting a sense of from the initial reactions, we're not going to talk about it tonight. But it sounds like there's probably going to be a great amount of enthusiasm at Paramount to push this thing out globally as fast as possible. So get ready for it, and it's going to be a real treat to see Ethan Peck uh, dive into the richness that is the Spock character as this show progresses. I think we're in for a great ride with him. Uh, Really, really uh, terrific to see. uh, That's when you know a character has become truly iconic, when we can have numerous uh, actors coming and bringing their own interpretation to the character, and the character still feels true to the way it was originally created. So pretty exciting times. As Jim said earlier, phenomenal time to be a Star Trek fan. And so and I, I'll pass it back to the studio to you, Jim. What do you got next? I had, I had the pleasure, the great pleasure, of meeting Ethan Peck at Traconaroga uh, pre-COVID um, when he was still doing Discovery. Actually, it was right around the time of Short Tracks, the Q&A episode of Short Tracks. And he was just a pleasure to meet. Uh, he shook my hand. He shook my daughter's hand. He talked to us about Star Trek and what do we think about it? What do we, do we like what we're seeing? You know, is he a good Spock? He was just the coolest, friendliest, nicest guy I could ever want to meet. And I'm so excited to see him on Star Trek. And I love what he did, what he's doing so far. And I can't wait to talk about it on next week's podcast. Ethan Peck, I think, is a very worthy um, uh, successor to play Mr. Spock. He, he, he reminds me of maybe the way a younger Nimoy would have been at Star Trek conventions, you know, back in the seventies. So I think we're lucky to have him in the Star Trek family. So my final story for tonight is Star Trek lower deck season two arrives on Blu-ray and DVD in July. That's right. The two disc collection of lower decks season two arrives on July 12th on Blu-ray and DVD and features over an hour of bonus content, including exclusive featurettes and commentary the 10 episode second season made good on its promise to be bigger funnier and star trekkier than ever before the season received critical plays in the press and even garnered a hugo award nomination joining the main cast for season two were a number of guest stars including star trek veterans jonathan frakes and robert duncan mcneil who was a plate brilliantly i might add In addition to the 10 episodes from season two, the Blu-ray and DVD set include the following special features. So if you're into special features, here they are. Sound Foundation. The first season of Lower Decks earned an Emmy nomination for outstanding sound editing for a half-hour comedy or drama series or animation for the episode No Small Parts. As sound for the animated series is particularly important, Go behind the scenes in an interview with the team that creates the dynamic audio for Lower Decks while they discuss how they bring the series to life. The next one, Lower Dictionary Season 2. The start of Season 2 sees our heroes separated by death and distance. In this featurette, take a deep dive into all things Season 2 through interviews with the producers, cast, and creatives 
about developing and executing the characters' journeys in the second season. We also get a season two Easter egg from episode 201 to 210. We get season two animatics from season 201 to 210. We get audio commentaries on episode 202, Cajun, His Eyes Wide Open, with Mike McMahon, Jack Quaid, and Jonathan Frakes. You guys might have heard his name once or twice. We also get audio commentary on episode 205, An Embarrassment of the Duplers, with Mike McMahon and Jack Quaid. Uh, we also get one on Where Pleasant Fountains Lie with Tawny Newsome, Paul Shear, and Garrett Bernard. And last but not least, one that I definitely want to check out, episode 209, Weege Dodge with Mike McMahon, Gabriel Ruiz, and Catherine Lynn. You guys might remember that was the Klingon episode. I loved it. It was great. It was fun. And I wonder if they'll do part of the commentary in Klingon. Who knows? You can pick up your own copy of Star Trek Lower Deck Season 2 on July 12th, only on Blu-ray and DVD. Well, guys, that wraps up our Star Trek news, believe it or not. But wait, we're not done. The main course is still ahead. We're going to talk about Star Trek Picard, Hide and Seek, which was last week's episode. We're not going to talk about the season finale till next week, along with Star Trek Strange New World's premiere. So, Come back next week to see what we thought about that. But tonight, we're going to talk about hide-and-seek. Before we do that, I have faith that you'll call. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time But your time is finally here You can feel the change in your thoughts right now Nothing's in your way and they're not gonna hold you down no more. No, they're not gonna hold you down. Cause we've got faith that you'll call. We wanna hear what you have to say. We've got faith to believe. In just talking today. You've got faith in your fingers. All you gotta do is down now. You can reach us right now. We got faith. We got faith. Faith that you call. All right, guys. So uh, we're back. And every week on our Facebook page, I ask you guys, our fans, what did you think about the latest Star Trek episode? In this case, Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 9 hide and seek and the reason why i ask you guys what you think is because you know who wants to sit around and just listen to what we think we want to know what you think because what's star trek without the fans so eric what did our facebook listeners have to say uh well our very first uh kind of opinion that we want to get is from chris troney uh he gave it an eight he said I loved everything about it that didn't – that part of the story really slowed things down and broke up the pacing. I've been bored with that story for about three episodes now. Looking forward to seeing Gerardi of Borg revealed to attack the Stargazer and return us to where Episode 201 started and kick off Season 3. Mark Newstrom uh, said a 9-plus. Amazing performances by everyone. Marvelous concept of the emergency combat Hologram. 
top fan Jim Nelson gave it a nine. I thought it was the best episode this season by a lot. The blooming love stories got me misty-eyed a couple of times. Steve Everett said a 9.5, somewhere in that range. I'm loving that they gave Allison a more substantial role this season and that she kept the speechiness under control, <laughs> still giving us her new Jurati and how Data slash Soon meets his demise. We still need to see how Q gets involved in all this for the final episode this season. Jan Gerstenberg said a nine. A lot of things came together in this episode. The exploration of trauma continues to be really well done. And the Agnes Queen ending was really cool. S.C. Peregrine said nine instead of ten, simply for the fact that there have been multiple kisses between heterosexual pairs over the length of the show. And in this episode, there was a good long moment between uh, Rafi and Seven, a tenor moment where they could have kissed, but it was very clear that they were written and instructed not to. Jerry and Michelle's chemistry on screen gave it away. Why have any straight people kissed? I think why haven't any straight people or why have any people kissed on the show then seems only fair. Who really has time to kiss during a fight for their lives anyways? Let them kiss. I roll. Kevin Keith said a seven. Plots are getting too rehashed. No more time travel. No more Sung, Klingons, or Romulus. Time to explore topics related to more underrepresented worlds, cultures that are canon but not well-developed, such as Telar, Zinkenthi, Breen, or finally revisiting the Zindi that might give some much-needed closure to the Enterprise series. And top fan Janet Phillips gave it a 10. Top fan Sean Jr. said a lot better, a solid 8. Live long and prosper. And top fan Darren Walker said eight. Took them long enough to get here. The last two episodes have saved this, but please get rid of Rafi. She has lost her zing. And uh, that gives us this week a combined fan score of 8.7. So not up there in that middle nine zone, but, uh, you know, better than episode six, better than episode five. Uh, better than episode seven, uh, basically better than anything since episode four, according to our fans. Absolutely. So you ready to so talk about go. the episode? You ready to dive right in? Let's talk about it. All right, guys. Our uh, phone number here is 646-668-2433. If you'd like to share your thoughts on Star Trek Picard, episode nine, Hide and Seek. Give us a call, 646-668-2433. We'll be here live for about the next hour. We would love to hear from you. So before we dive right in, um, you know, the episode to me seems like the, the theme of this episode particularly was loss. And uh, Eric, I, you know, I wanted to ask you if you talk a little bit about Seven losing her humanity and becoming a Borg again. What did you think about that? Ah, well, let me see here. Uh, I, I think, well, I'm not even really sure where to start with that, Jim. Um, I think that it is interesting that they have chosen to, that they chose at the beginning of the season to deborgify her and, um, 
I think the idea with that, in my opinion, and I'd love to hear what our other truck experts have to say about this, but in my opinion, the reason that they chose to do that was that they wanted to somehow remove a weight from her. You know, there was this like monkey on her back that she'd been carrying around. And uh, during the season, I felt like they removed that and they, they had a couple episodes here and there where particularly scenes between her and Rafi. Uh, Rafi was trying to tease out uh, the inner seven, you know, uh, the, the one that's behind the, the tough facade. Um, then in this episode, they, they, you know, they go for the drama. Uh, the board queen stabs her in the stomach. She's dying. And of course, the only way to save her is to make a trade with the queen and, and to, and to save her using board technology she happens to get stabbed in the face in the same places. So, you know, the, the implant over the left eye, the little cheek thing next to the right ear. Um, and so any of that kind of um, progress, I guess, <laughs> if you can call it that, and I'm not even sure I would go so far as to say that, but maybe if there was minor progress made in her character over the course of the season and her opening up and kind of getting rid of that monkey, it's now been undone. And so I'm not really sure what to think. I'm not really sure what I'm left with there. Um, I don't, it's not a, a storyline that is bringing me hope or uh, providing a lot of kind of Star Trekiness <laughs> to me. It's kind of like uh, just the rug getting pulled out from underneath her uh, right here at the end of the season. So, you know, maybe it will become a plot device in this last episode. Who knows? Maybe she needs to be bored to do something or, or, or maybe, like, I just hope that the whole theme of the whole shenanigans isn't that. It just always has been and always has to be, and so destiny, destiny, destiny. Um, that's not, a, that's not a, a reason that I find compelling, personally. So, uh, honestly, I didn't, I didn't love that she got reborgified here. I was kind of disappointed that they went down that road, to tell you the truth. What do you guys think? Hated it. <laughs> Oh, tell us more, David. It was, it, well, I, I was just thinking because the idea of being reborgified is—I mean, I guess it could be a thing that, like what Eric said, you know, maybe she needed to be aboard to do something for his last episode because I haven't seen the last episode yet. So technically, my thoughts of the whole idea was that it was kind of stupid the way they did it. But like what Eric said, you know, I'm. I'm Sorry for copying you and everything, but I'm just saying, like, she got stabbed in the stomach. Why did she have to get ugh, all the board parts exactly how she was back in Voyager time? So to me, it just didn't make sense for exactly the same. It would have been cooler if you would look different, maybe. But, um, yeah, to me, I, I, I really didn't like that whole idea of her coming back as a board because I was just like, uh, uh, Oh, well, that's my top thought in it. Well, I was um, talking about... I'm going to jump in and go the opposite direction. I think back in the early episodes, she lost her identity. She was suddenly human and didn't have identity. And being presented to return herself back to board, I think regained a little bit of her identity because 
She spent her whole life as a Borg. She even admitted the fact that Starfleet wouldn't let her captain a ship because she was Borg. But she got to be part of the Rangers. Borg has always been part of her identity. And I think this kind of helped her regain a little bit of that identity. That might help her a little bit because she's suddenly back. She's who she is. I don't know if she's willing to give up saying, oh, I don't want to be Borg anymore. No, I think she knows she's Borg, and that's her, who she is. And I think this may giving her a chance of being back to who she really is. She might have to do some hiding of her identity, but that's not the first person who's had to do that, done that in a different time zone, such as Spock, other Vulcans, any Vulcan, and many other people who've had to hide it. But this also reminds me of Doug Jones. When all of a sudden he got to play, he didn't have to come in makeup to play his character. He could be a human. And that was him, but we didn't really get his identity because he was different. He didn't even have his walk. So I think this is not as much of a loss for her as I think she's regaining what she, who she was, who she is. You know, that's a really interesting it's a really interesting perspective, Charles. And I'm just I, I want to hear what Jim has to say too, but my my question I guess for you, Charles, then would be um what like why did they do that? What was the what was the purpose of deborgifying her to only reborgify her later in the season? I you know, because I assume like I I'm not gonna admit, like I think some of these writers have shown some chops here and there, particularly early on in the season and they don't do stuff for no reason. Right. So there had to be like a, a lesson or a deeper meaning or some reason that they were, I can, I can throw out my opinions at some point if you want to hear it. Yeah. What do you think, Paul? Well, I kind of look at it a a little bit different. I mean, it's almost like the flip side of the same coin that Charles was saying, right? Because it's like most of the time, when you're looking at a character arc, right, there's, there's subtext. It's not like literal subtext, right? It's like you, you – and I feel like the way she played this has been really, really good. Uh, I think what they were trying to do, and I don't know how successful it's been. I think her performance has just been, been really great. I kind of feel like this is where she's going, though. I kind of feel like she has come across to me in terms of her identity being more empowered and being more confident and more capable in terms of what she's able to do and how she's able to assess things. And she's been kind of, and you know, the way she just generally has played the character a little bit more of a badass, you know, not having being free of the board. Right. And I kind of think that it's almost been the subtext has been like for her, the Borg is almost like an analog for addiction. All right. And when she is reborgified, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that, right, it's like she's having a relapse. Ugh. Okay. It's like she had to return and shoot up again. Right. And she's disappointed with herself. She feels like she had escaped and she'd managed to be free. She'd managed to break loose of the hold that the addiction that the Borg had on her. But it's sad. It's a failure. And you can see it in her face where she is 
disappointed with she blames herself even though it's not really her her doing she feels weak and she feels like she's disappointed and let herself down because i think that only when she is not bored and she realized that she was no longer bored did she see that she had a potential to have a relationship with rafi that mm-hmm. being free and being human would allow her to do that and now that she's not anymore the potential for that relationship is gone and that's another piece of the cost of of the addiction and the relapse of board so to me i think that's the subtext she was playing with i don't know maybe i'm just reading it into that but but just looking at the way she was reacting to that i got a lot of that addiction subtext to that so i don't know if anyone else sees that as well but i i think that's maybe what they were going for but i don't know there's probably another more literal plot mechanics reason that they went to do that but i don't know what that is yet well the only thing i'll say paul is that they they did make a point of having a scene with rafi after she got her board implants back where rafi you know touches the implants and touches her face and says that she's an extraordinary person uh, and so she never, you know, there's that whole, like, I wanted to be normal and well, you're not normal cause you're extraordinary. And so I think that's the, the supposed to be the, okay, I accept you the way you are, but you're right. The whole exploration throughout the season, I think I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I feel like, you know, she did gain a lot of confidence and became a new, now part of that could have been Fenris Ranger training right because the right. seven that we that we get uh, at the beginning of season one you know we haven't seen for x number of years so there's a lot of seven in there that we don't know how she got the way she is too but when she first shows up in the you know as president right in the dystopia version of reality right she's kind of excited she's like got all this competence and she's she just <laughs> seems liberated yeah. and she's excited and more confident willing to try stuff the scene you mentioned with Rafi, I think Rafi would be willing to accept her for how she is. But I just got the feeling that... that uh, seven won't that, accept herself. That seven that. can't accept herself because yeah. she feels... She just... that I think she, she takes it as a as, as, as self-failure and the same kind of self-loathing that, that people who are grappling with addiction feel when they've, when they've had a relapse. And they don't know, even if other people can trust them, I don't know that, that she feels that she can trust herself. And I, I, I would love to have a conversation with her, like as an actor to find out what, if there was subtext like that, that she was working with. But, uh, but I, I think she's been, you know, uh, I don't want to talk so much about the writing, <laughs> but uh, I think she's been a, a, a hero uh, right up there with Santiago Cabrera this season. I think that they've, they've both done just tremendous work and have been making the most of what they have. And uh, she's been a terrific, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see where she goes. It was a great revelation to find out about her trying to get the uh, a captaincy, right? And being shot down, that's really wow. something. Are we going to, Are we, do, do you have that on the docket to talk about later, Jim? Because if not, we do need to dig into that real quick. Uh, I, 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 not that, I have other stuff, not that in particular. Okay, go, go ahead. Gee whiz, it didn't seem like the, uh, like the Federation had a problem with giving Picard his captaincy back, even though he was looking at us. He's like, oh, there you go, John Luke, Jim. you got the chair again. But so, I mean, seven, Ichab sorry. Still, yeah, Echep still had board parts, and he was in right. Like he Yeah. Exactly. So pretty contradictory. <laughs> <laughs> pretty contradictory it's just I like you know get that at all. i'm really starting to become uh, a little dis uh disenchanted with uh, the bureaucracy at starfleet command i think they're not yeah. <laughs> as consistent or enlightened as they ought to be 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Feels weird. Well, back, back to seven, I, I look at it as the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Syndrome. That's the way I saw it. Where, you know, Rudolph didn't want to have a red nose. He wanted to be a normal reindeer. He didn't like who he was. He didn't want to be who he was. He would have given anything to be somebody else. What would have happened if Rudolph got that? If he did get to be someone else, he wouldn't have saved Christmas. Christmas wouldn't exist. So, so, you know, I think... have to save something with her board parts now to make it all... So I think that seven, (laughs) Seven had to be the person that she was always destined to be. And that's the person she ended up being. And I also think that the reason why she looks the way, well, also because I I believe in the contract uh, that she signed that she didn't have to wear the Borg, all the Borg implants. So they had to write that in so that she could do the whole thing without all the Borg stuff. But then at the end, when she becomes a Borg, everybody knows her that way. So they just, put her back the way people used to seeing her. If they've given her a Borg stomach and, and Borg feet or a Borg toe or something, yeah, then it wouldn't be this. It wouldn't be seven. And it wouldn't have the same impact as her going back to what she was before. So that's why I think they did that. So that was that. But I did want to talk about, I wanted to ask Paul about Picard finding his mother hanging herself. Are you sure you want to ask me that question? Here we go. I I do. (laughs) Get your bucket of popcorn, people. Yeah, because (laughs) I I have a, yeah, I definitely do. Because when I, when I saw that, I immediately, well, not, not that scene in particular, but what he says to Talon afterwards and how that, how that would affect Jean-Luc through his entire career, even into what we see in this episode. All right. Um, filter has been removed, so I'm just going to let you have it. All right. I'm really unhappy with the direction that that plot has been going um, for a number of reasons. Um, I, I feel like it's a bit of a betrayal and contradictory to the character of John Luke Picard that we've had previously on Next Gen, uh, for one thing. I, I don't think it's reconcilable with what we've had here. Um, Hopefully some of those, I have some hopes that some of those uh, disjointed uh, inconsistencies might get resolved in the finale, but that's just theory at this point. Even if they are, what has been depicted in these flashbacks, if you will, right? I, I think the show is frankly being incredibly irresponsible with its depiction of mental illness. Uh, really, really so. Um, Star Trek is supposed to present a more enlightened perspective of mankind, and they're presenting a depiction of mental illness that is like something out of a 19th century you know, drawing room melodrama, frankly. And it's, it's harmful, and it's uh, reinforcing stigma of mental illness as being this, you know, oh, I'm raging in my white dress and I can't control myself and, uh, and I'm doomed, right? That there's no help. There's no hope with all that. And I think it's really irresponsible. I think it's really irresponsible of uh, Paramount Plus to air this episode without some kind of uh, disclaimer on the front end. Uh, typically, it's like if you're looking at a show on Netflix or you're looking at a show on 
Apple TV, there's almost always a note that the following episode contains depictions of self-harm. Okay, as a trigger alert for folks who are grappling with that themselves in the real world. To not have that when that's the shocker reveal in here uh, that's on there is really irresponsible, uh, reckless, and uh, potentially extremely harmful. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people across the planet who do have thoughts of suicidal ideation who are watching this show. And that's something you need to be prepared for. And it's really grossly irresponsible to not prep that these days. But more than that, I mean, look at what's come from going back to the original series, right? In the original series, I can think of at least a couple of episodes, okay? Dagger of the Mind, and then later on, uh, Whom Gods Destroy, where we're talking about you know, hundreds of years in the future. And the impression you got from those early episodes was that, you know, the Federation has made great progress in uh, eliminating and treating forms of mental illness, that they've reached a more enlightened place to deal with that, right? Yet when we're showing Picard's mom, which is, you know, further down the road historically than even those events would be, right? It's like she's still living in like the, you know, 19th century somehow, and she's refused to get any kind of help. And she's the whole idea of her being, you know, locked in this room with the key and all this nonsense like that and all this shadowy stigma and all the cliche tropes and and hanging herself with a rope while wearing a white dress for her son to discover like, like this hysterical Jane Austen trope. I mean, it's so dated, man. And even for the era that's being portrayed on the show, it is really dated. It's reckless and it's irresponsible, right? So I think a lot of harm is being done with this episode and uh, particularly with this plot thread, but I'm not digging it at all. And I don't know how much, I mean, clearly somebody's, as we've seen with, you know, the, the father slash therapist uh, presence from the last ep- couple episodes. Someone's had some kind of glancing blow with therapy and wanting to go into things and explore this stuff. But the way they're choosing to explore it, writers, is not good. It's certainly not indicative of a more enlightened, evolved future where we have moved beyond a place where mental illness is something that is no longer so stigmatized. You are setting mental illness depictions back 200 years with this episode. You are not advancing them forward, and you are not helping people reach a more enlightened place. So that's my take on it. The only other thing I'd like to say in all these depictions of Picard's youth, where the hell is his brother Robert? Well, you go back to the episode family, right? Robert was like a, a major component of the Picard family dynamic. He's, you know, Yvette and Maurice's older son, right? Well, and he's well, basically I, filling the roles to, as the father. Where is he at? And I just, I just answer, think it's really driving me nuts. So a really negative reaction question, to this from me. Sorry, guys. To answer your question, Robert is away at school, as they noted in the episode. Yeah. yeah, it's a blown but, opportunity to not include it, but to me it's lazy. Wait, where, did, yeah. where did they note that in the episode? Was, uh, toward the end of the episode, I believe. Yeah, they, he was away at Who school. They, they, Who says it? The father. I believe it was the father. Oh, he uh, said something. Robert's away at school? Yeah, something like yep. that. They, they, they mentioned it in the episode. 
Yeah, I feel like absence is felt, you know, because it's like everybody thinks of that episode family, and it was really one of the best episodes of the, the whole series, right? At least in terms of focusing on Picard's character. That was great stuff. And there would be so many different ways you could cast somebody else as Robert, right? And, or, and, and do uh, flashback episodes that could have maybe been more character revealing. But this, this horribly melodramatic trope of the, you know, I'm not sure what it is that specifically she's supposed to have, right? I don't know if she's supposed to be, uh, uh, if it she's got like schizophrenia. Depression. Well, I don't know if it's clinical extreme. depression or schizophrenia or bipolar. It's something like right. that, right? And these are things that people are still grappling with today. And right. to imply that 200 years in the future, it'll be like, we're treating it we did you know 150 years ago from now is just it's it's really bad friends i'm really really sorry and it's just uh can i add something to that please do yeah because i was thinking this entire time throughout the entire tng you know it has been like what 20 years gone by why now has this been brought up why now did he just all of a sudden remember or started to remember pieces of it when he said he forgot but yet I know he's in an android body and everything, but still, it's just it, like what Paul mentioned, the family episode, you know, why now has it been brought up? It's just it's so strange to think that the mother died like that, and yet it, it just doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean anything when it comes to the idea of pain so bad like that. It just doesn't have any, it doesn't have any, uh, uh, what's the word? Um, you know, it, it doesn't mean anything to the Trek world because it's like it's it's not moving forward, like Paul said. It really isn't. I didn't like this episode at all very much. <laughs> and you know, it's also it's just like you know, we we remember from I'm I'm trying to remember the uh, the the episode. I I think it might even be where no one has gone before uh, from next gen where we see picard's mother right out in the astral depths of you know twisted you know deep space dimensional overlaps right and she appears for him i mean she's clearly passed away because she's an older lady right she's you know looks like a a dowager like a grandmother right and she's like there kind of is she really there probably not but but he's seeing her and interacting with her i'm pretty sure it's the first season episode i apologize i can't pull it right out of my uh my memory here, but no, uh, you do have right it is where no one has gone before. Well, you, you, don't, no you, before. you don't have to pull it out because I'm going to pull it out of my ass for you. Here's the clip <laughs> from where no man has gone before. And this you is where Picard envisions his mother and yeah, where no one has gone the, before, where no one has gone before. And this is the, this is exactly what he says to Talon. He says, I've often imagined my mother as an old woman offering me tea and sitting down to talk. And here is the way he envisions her in the TNG episode. You look tense, Jean-Luc. Come and have a cup of tea. I'll make it real strong the way you like it. Mama? This can't be. You've been... Dead? But I'm always with you. You know that. 
Yes. I felt that. But why now? Suddenly. You mean out here? Is what you say is the end of the universe? Or do you see this as the beginning of it? We believe it's the outer rim. Maman, do you understand these things? Can you tell me where my ship is? What is this place? Captain, you were reported headed for... Just a moment, number one. So and on Picard, on Picard, Yvette Picard obviously speaks with a British accent, just like her son and and everything there. So if why is John Luke imagining his mother as an old woman in ten, next gen with a speaking with a French accent? If it's just all this retconning, is what it feels like to me. And going in and 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 you know, performing like a you know, unconscious autopsy on these previous episodes written by other people and, and twisting it around to serve their, their whims for what they want to explore. And it kind of validates everything that's come before. So I feel like it's really disrespectful, especially in light of how they are uh, portraying mental illness uh, in at the time when their mental illness in this country right now is just unchecked and, and profoundly uh, at epidemic proportions we need to show people that there is hope and that there are alternatives and that the future is a place that where hanging yourself is not the option. That's not the solution. And showing that even as a hasty, temporary alternative to coping with things is just, it's, it's super irresponsible and it sure isn't Star Trek. All That's right, all I got to say on that, friends. My, uh, my turn. Okay. Paul's, I, I understand where you're coming from, but I also look at it as, yes, there might be better help in the future, if you're willing to admit it. But, and I think David just brought up a point I was going to bring up, Q brought up a point. What did, what did Q tell Guinan in the basement? People are stuck in the past. And I think we realize the point. Why did Picard go unconscious and not want to becoming re-unconscious? Because he was trying to reach a hurdle he couldn't get past. I think this was such a detriment to him in the past that his mind forgot what happened. It was such a shock to him, and as we say, PSE, that I think it was it was so traumatic to him that he reached a point where he blocked it out and forgot it and did not realize what happened to her. And it was only a link to that key that brought the memory back to realizing what happened. <clears throat> yes, we hope that the future they would be able to deal with these issues, but you've got to be able to do it right now. Things can be done. If you want to admit there's a problem, too many people are in denial. And this is a bit of exposure saying, yeah, we still have people that are out there denying that it's happening. 
and they're not getting the help they need. But I think Picard spent so much of his life creating a memory of what he thought happened to his mother. I think reached to a point that never really remembered what did happen to her. Yeah, and I think really, that's something that's caused him problems in his past and his yeah. present. And maybe this is a little bit of an opening where Picard may be realizing what happened in his past and he can finally admit admit to it. Yes, it's a sad loss to mom, but it's I think going a little bit of a taste of what did happen. It's a little bit more yeah. not tricky than what we're used to. But these new series are a little di- uh, a little different track than what we're used to on Trek type episodes, especially dealing with serialization. And and what I what I'm thinking is, you know, what what effect would it have on a child? like Jean-Luc, to carry that guilt through his entire life that he caused the death of his mother. And that, that guilt had to weigh Listen, heavily on him. It's, it's true, but what they haven't, like, what, they've, what they did in this episode was they revealed that he unlocked the door. But let's be clear, he did not cause the death of his mother. Just because... No, no, he, he did, did get, not, but in his right. mind, he did. In his mind, he did. He said so. He said that if he it's had not true. opened the door, and his, so so he carried his, that. Yeah. Right. He had the guilt of that, and he had to wind it all up. And he never, he never, he he didn't know how to deal with it. And I think that's what the whole purpose of that whole thing was. How did yeah. that guilt affect this character through his entire life until now? Thanks to Q. Uh, and Q's shenanigans, he brought that to the surface and made him have to deal with it. And I think that is the whole purpose of the whole thing. I really, I I think the one thing that they could have done to Paul's point, like, I don't disagree with you, Jim. I think that's, that is what they were trying to portray here. And there's, you know, there's a certain amount of interest to that. Like what role does guilt play in our lives and how does the baggage like we were talking about you know we we talked last week about the things that people hold on to and and how we get stuck in the past this is how Picard got stuck in the past right was through his guilt for this thing but I think what the writers didn't do which I think is an expectation that is reasonable these days is freaking hire a social worker or somebody to be on the writing team like there's some there's some huge um, uh, standard practices <laughs> in in mental health today that are not represented all in this episode. And so, you know, if you're if you're plugged into that scene at all and you understand what they are, you understand why the gaps are so big and why it's so important that they were missed. So it's almost like, okay, I like the idea of where they took the story with it and why Picard's guilt was a thing that they wanted to explore. But the way that they did it was... I, I got to agree with Paul. It's incredibly irresponsible. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. So, David, David, I got one for you. We yeah. were talking about, <laughs> I was, was it last week or was it two weeks ago? Well, anyways, uh, what do you think is going on with Rios 
and the doctor. He he apparently says goodbye to her and uh, kisses her, but then he says there were you know he considered staying, and she asked him to stay. So do you think they're going to pull a Star Trek four on us? Do you think he's going to stay? Do you think she's going to leap into his arms in the transporter beam and go with him back to the future? Or are they just going to say goodbye and that's going to be the end of it? Well, witnessing so far what they have already done, they seem to be copying quite a bit of uh, the past. So I'm almost thinking that they are going to pull a Star Trek for this woman and the son might be coming along. I don't know. If they do, they're probably going to be a part of Star Trek forever. So we'll see, like, what kind of character they make them out of. But honestly, I don't know at this point. I haven't seen this last episode. I'm sure many of you guys have not either. But at, at the same time, it, it, we're only kind of having to guess. So I guess I would say no. I think they're going to stay behind because – I don't think they're going to pull another copycat on uh, previous uh, movies or episodes. So I'm, my guess would be no. They're going to stay behind. And they're going to stay behind and Rios is going to leave. Yeah. Or either that or Rios is going to stay behind and he's going to leave Star Trek. I don't know. <laughs> you know, that's interesting because... Yeah. Of all the cast members that I've I've read have are going to appear in next season, um, his name was not mentioned. Rafi and Seven are mentioned. His name was not. Whether they did that on purpose to throw us off, I don't know. Whether I don't know. I didn't see tonight's episode either, so your guess is as good as mine. But I, I would be I would be I. I, I think he has to go back because of the way season one began with him as the captain of the Stargazer. And I would think that when they fix things, it would have to be fixed at that point. So he would have to be there to be the captain. But then again, I don't know how the time travel thing, how they're going to work out that time travel thing. I don't know. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they wrap that all up for sure. For sure. And Charles, the one I wanted to ask you about this one. The thing that got me in, in this particular episode was when uh, combat hologram Elnor shows up. And uh, yes, Elnor, if you watch The Ready Room, Elnor's done. He's gone. He won't be back. That was his final episode. And Rafi gets the opportunity. And this brings us kind of back to what we were just talking about with Picard and the guilt of his mother. Um, this one, this this almost made me cry every time I watched it. And that is that she gets an opportunity to do something that so many of us wish we could do in reality. And she gets to say goodbye to Elnor kind of when, the, when the hologram says that he has all of her, of Elnor's memories and that the last memories of her that he had were of love. And even though she felt guilty about the whole death and holding him back I think that the Elnor hologram vindicated her at the end and I think that that's something that a lot of us wish how many times you have a fight with a loved one or something like that and maybe they don't come back and you have to deal with the guilt of well they died thinking I hated them when in reality those feelings well we don't know but in this case 
the Elmar hologram tells her, no, he, he didn't feel that way. He felt this way. And what, what did you think about that, the way they handled that scene and the way uh, Rafi and Elnor interacted? I love where she's the, the where Girardi goes through and says, well, yeah, I got you locked out. Well, here, I can pull a hologram out and pull somebody who's been on the ship. I thought it was a great thing to pulling him out. In fact, I thought it was perfect when he went through that locker and said, oh, gun, no, rifle, nah, Rios' sword, ah, yes. Because we know from the book about Rios' sword. And that was a, oh, yes, we got the true Elnor. He was a great combatant. And I think he opened up because Rafi, I think, is so still torn about what happened with her son. That Elnor kind of was her adopted son. And she's so worried she wronged him the way she treated, she, what she did with him. And he's at the point of like forgiving her. No, I was happy with what you did. I had this opportunity. I chose not to take it because I wanted to be, she, he wanted to spend his time in Starfleet. And he took himself exactly where he would want to go. He wanted to go with that lost cause. And he was defending himself for that lost cause. So I think Eleanor got exactly what he was looking for. And that his loss was where he wanted to be. He was using his life defending those that he cared about. And so I think it was an important part for him to, that he already understood that and it took time for Rafi to understand that. And And I think think this will give her a little bit of recovery. Did you think it was cool that we saw the doctor's mobile emitter be, being reused again? Yes. I mean, we saw that on Voyager, and then it evaporated, and here we are. We see Elnor wearing it again in this episode, so we know that the holographic projector, the mobile holographic projector, is a thing in the future. Well, is th- yeah. Yeah. If I remember yes, correctly, that came from... Members. We've seen yeah. the four crew members who use it. Yeah, that technology did Which, come from did come from the future, it, and the it thing was, was from the future, is, right? So, so those battles with Elnor and the bad guys they took place on La Serena, right? Yes. Yes. And we already know from previous episodes that La Serena has mobile or has holographic emitters pretty much all over the ship because that's how all the different Rioses could show up pretty much wherever they wanted. So although it was cool that I saw the mobile emitter, I had no clue why he was actually wearing it because he's on a ship that is rigged with mobile um, emitters. I actually have a thought for that. I think the reason could, he was wearing it was because he could not be inside the computer core where there was already a holographic projection in there. Kind of like how the doctor traveled thousands of light years to get on to the, uh, that prototype ship that Romulans had hijacked in Voyager episode. 
so he transported himself through the whole idea, uh, you know, going all the way over there. And so he, I be, did he take the mobile emitter with him, or did the mobile emitter stay on the ship? I can't remember now. But either way, I, I, I just remember nowhere, that there's an idea yeah. that the holograms can't share the same, uh, the same uh, computer cores or something like that because it's so large or something. That was under the impression that he had the mobile emitter because he had to be separate from the ship's computer because the Borg Queen would be able to get it if it was in the ship's computer. But if it was in the mobile emitter, they'd have to get Elnor in order to get the, the password from the mobile emitter where Girardi had put it. And that's why he was wearing it. At least that's how I interpreted it. Okay, then I I could totally see that, Jim. Then what they shouldn't have done was had her say, computer, activate uh, mobile combat hologram, and all of a sudden he's there. They should have, like, had her, like, somehow acknowledge the, the actual mobile emitter because unless you knew to look for that, there was really no acknowledgement that that was how they were going to bring him in. And furthermore, can I just get up on my soapbox for one second and say, what the heck is going on with uh, holograms having the memories of the people who are on the ship? Is there something that, like, is constantly scanning the memories of people on the ship. And if they die, then it remembers the last thing like that. Was yeah. Just, that was bothering me too, because I it's just like, couldn't figure say, oh, no, he was, he felt this way. I mean, how is the, I mean, cause the, anything that's created for the hologram is from the computer. Right. Yes? And, and, and so and Paul, how, does he know, and, how does the computer know how people are feeling? I mean, right. And so let's talk about why they did that. So the reason that they did that was they needed Rafi to have her, her moment with Elnor, which I totally agree with Jim on his point with that. I thought that was really sweet. Like it gives her that moment of closure and it gives, and it allows her the ability to stop feeling so guilty for sending him off to Starfleet uh, when he didn't really want to do that. So I don't have a problem with why they wanted to bring Elnor back. I actually think that is not a bad idea and it's a great way to close out that Rafi character. What I have a problem with is that you're showing this show to a bunch of science fiction nerds who think about things like science and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And there's 58 years of precedent for, for Star Trek. And I'm not against inventing new things, but this one particular piece of technology sort of came out of no, nowhere. And I feel like there are other ways to write this. They could have had a, uh, you know, a video that Elnor recorded in the past or, uh, they could have had a flashback or they this their, this exact same plot thing could have been executed in such a way that actually made sense. Whereas this one to me didn't make sense at all. All right, cool. So um, the next thing I wanted to mention was when uh, Borg, I don't know what you call her, Borg Jardy. I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Borgardi. Borgardi. Yeah. Borgatti, when when she says, when she says, there must be two Renees, one that lives yeah. and one that dies. Mm. Another puzzle. Hmm. Interesting. What is she talking about? Because she tells them that the, the, the Borg, that the Borg will not destroy the probe from space like the, the evil queen had planned. So they're not they're, She's not going to do that. She's going to take the ship and just go off and recruit more Borg. And she's not going to shoot down the probe. She said that, and she left. But she also said that there had to be two, one that lives and one that dies. And the first thing that popped in my mind, which is completely 
makes no sense. I don't know why I thought it. I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. But the first thing I thought of was at the very beginning in the first episode, when Jean-Luc is giving his lecture to the Starfleet Academy, he says he's the last of the Picards. And that's because his nephew, Rene, died in a fire in the vineyard. And so Rene is dead. But Rene also happens to be the name of the woman that goes to space and finds this microbe. So there's two different Renes. The first thing I thought was, well, maybe, maybe the other Rene has to live. And I'm like, well, why would I think that? It makes no sense. So, yeah, anyways, what did you guys, what Rene did you think that she's talking about? It's her cat. I hadn't thought about I hadn't thought about maybe they're gonna bring back some of that TNG stuff about the family dying and maybe something might happen differently. That's no, what I thought. Be- Let's try this. Try this one. You have Renee who's very unconfident. What if that Renee dies, and soon Renee takes her place and does a discovery? I think it involves Soon's daughter. Oh, you mean I she's going to assume the identity of Renee? I think and she's going to assume one of Renee's, and one of them's going to live, and one of them's going to die. Because uh, she's still a loose thread in this thing. And I think totally. she has something to do with the finale. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, because the whole thing seemed to be about Picard's legacy, and he goes out of his way to say he doesn't have a legacy and he always regretted not having one. And his nephew's name was Renee. I don't know. That's what I was thinking. They're going to do something with, with Renee dying and not dying or something, but I haven't been able to come up with a reason or, or a how or a why, or, but that's where my brain went. But and again, well, we're I dealing with the this time days. travel shenanigans, and we're dealing with Q. So, right. And the stakes you know, are like <laughs> that's the thing that I said at the beginning of the season is like when you enter a different universe and then you time travel in the different universe, like who the hell knows what's going to happen, and are there really any stakes to any of this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just don't know. We we, we don't yeah. know. But but the last point that I wanted to to talk about was for Jardy <laughs> and. This new um, benevolent uh, Borg collective, and we know now we know beyond a shadow of a doubt who the Borg queen was that shows up at the beginning and why she was wearing a mask because we know who it is. It's Agnes. Um, but what do you think about the new Borg? I mean, this new friendlier Borg that want to assimilate you to help you want to give you a choice of being assimilated or not. They don't just want to run around wiping out civilizations and, uh, you know, like the Borg used to do. And these are, these are, now this is where it gets even more confusing because I I remember an episode of Voyager where we saw one of one and he was a future Borg who was completely different than any Borg we had ever met in the ever before. And he seemed like a Borg, a Borg Jardy Borg to me. Yeah, he was from like the 29th century and he had a, a different look to him, but I think that he was still part of a collective and he wasn't necessarily like queen, queen style like Jardy is. And I 
personally think that it's kind of cool to have something different happening with the Borg. I mean, if you're going to keep diving back into the Borg over and over again, then make something different happen with them. And I think that they are doing that now. So I do like that they took that Jurati character, who I think in season one, we were all a little like, we're a little lukewarm on her. Like I remember talking about, uh, you know, the way in which she killed her, her lover and stuff. And we all had some serious questions about the morality of that and all that kind of stuff. They have taken her character and they've really kind of taken her best asset, which is her brain. And she can outborg the board because she's just simply smarter and more powerful than they are. So I, I like that idea of that melding of somebody who's smarter, more powerful, takes the sort of megalomania, you know, perfection drive out of the Borg. And I want to see what happens. So I'm, I'm really curious, like, how that plays out, right? Because if that's the Borg that shows up at the beginning of episode one, then when she starts plugging her tendrils into the uh, Stargazer, maybe she's assimilating it for a good reason, right? Uh, I mean, they actually say in this episode something about um, approaching other species, you know, in a different way and be, being more friendly. Well, what happens in season in episode one? They come and they they ask to join the Federation. So I think there's a there's a plot left to be played out there that I am interested in. And yeah, I also I think, think that it, it, it's go ahead, David. I was going to say I think that this Borg is going to go back on her word. I mean, it's you don't you don't want to mess with the same um, people who apparently like to simulate and conquer everything because they're just gonna. I think she's more mysterious and she's letting on, so she's probably gonna go back on her word and probably do nasty stuff like she's always done. So who knows? Well, thinking back on Star Trek lore, uh, when when the crew freed. Hugh, and we meet we meet the Borg again in descent. They're they're all out of whack because Hugh didn't have the ability to lead them and to unify them. So they were just disjointed, you know, uh, non-Borg Borg until um, until Lore came along and got them together as the evil Borg again. So, so the Borg, you know, Borg drones need a leader. So we know this. But then, in, in Best of Both Worlds, we find out that the Borg Queen wants a king. And it's never really explained why. So I think the Borg, the Borg Queen knew she needed something. She didn't know what. So she got Locutus. But she assimilated Locutus, Locutus, Jean-Luc against his will and and turned him into Lilacutus, which again, didn't accomplish the goal that she was after. Whereas what happened with, with Gerardi is there was no um, forceful assimilation there. It was, it was more of a joining. And that I think is what the Borg queen needed, but didn't know she needed or wanted until she got it. And she thought she could just control it. But guess what? Agnes is a very strong individual and isn't going to allow that to happen. Now Agnes knows how to control the Borg Queen through um, cellular peptides, or I forgot what, what they <laughs> well, said it was. But so that was the, <laughs> whatever. So that was the thing was like when the Borg Queen wanted to become the Borg Queen, she broke the window so that she could get her juices flowing. 
And then right. somehow those same juices flowing is what also then later gave Jurati more control than the board queen. So I'm, I'm confused about that part, but I'm willing to, to be along on the journey anyway, even though I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> well, she well, said that the, the, you're building the board. A, you're building an endorphin for the energy, but you're doing the opposite of endorphins with emotions. Right. And the endorphin right. is what's putting Girardi away. The emotion is what brings Girardi strength. Right. Exactly. It was the emotion that brought her. Can this queen travel dimensions? Because remember, I, we're not currently in the correct dimension. We're in a well, different alternate that's, that's, that's a Doctor Who term. We don't have dimensions in Star Trek. What do you mean? Do you mean okay, the timeline? Or timeline. Timeline. Okay, there we go. Yes. So this queen's in a different timeline. So she may not affect the prime timeline Borg. It's going to be a different breed of Borg in a different timeline. Right. Totally. But, but, but I'm going to throw a giant but in there. I'm under the distinct impression that regardless of what universe, whether it's the Q-verse or the mirror universe or whatever you happen to be, that there is still only one Borg queen and she knows what goes on in all of the universes simultaneously because she knew exactly where the change was and how to fix it. And when, when, when uh, Jurati tells her, you know, you can't take the ship because then soon we'll take over and the Borg will be killed. And she says, well, we know about that outcome now we'll prepare for it. and It won't happen. So, I think that she's like everywhere at once type. She has all the memories of every Borg queen that is everywhere or there's only one and she can be anywhere. But is this the real Borg queen? I mean, we haven't still fully developed like, or understand who the actual Borg queen is because they had multiple Borg queens throughout the whole uh, universe. So I don't know. Huh? Well, I no, think, I think king, there's no, only one I think there's yeah, only I mean, one Borg queen. I yeah, think. this one was pulled directly from, I mean, the very first episode, right? They, or no, second episode, when they get to the, the mirror or this, the Q-verse here. That's where she comes from. So she's yeah, actually she in I, her native, she's in her native universe right now. She is not, she's never been, like, if, we, if you make the assumption that they traveled back in time from the altered timeline, the Q, what we call the Q-verse, if you assume that, then um, then she's never been a prime universe Borg queen, and none of the Borg that stuff that happens here has any impact on the prime universe stuff, unless, and this is likely so, this is who we see at the beginning of the season one episode, and they and she travels you know trans universally to come and and see these guys. Well, yeah, because she she is capable of jumping universes because she's the one that got them there in the first place. Well, she's capable. No, let's be careful with that. Uh, she, yes, she is capable of it. She's capable of the calculation and, but they still needed the slingshot maneuver. She just did the calculation for the slingshot maneuver. I think for example, when a Borg and Voyager travels through like a transwarp conduit or something, that's not a inner universe thing. 
Like we, we've never heard of Borg traveling between universes. We've only heard them traveling extreme distances very quickly and then doing time travel. We've never heard of them jumping from one timeline to another. Could could the Omega Particle be something that connects the all okay. Borg together? Okay, this is what I want to talk about. So this is the last point, and I swear to God, I'll make it short. But in the opening credits, they still show paired dodecahedrons like they did uh, back in season one, which we came to think that meant the uh, the cloning of the like the two androids always having to exist as a pair, right? That's also the same shape as the Omega Molecule, and they still haven't addressed that. I would love if they brought that into the story. Thank you. Well, we, we actually, I, I believe we have a caller on the line here, and I believe if I can get this thing to work, if this will answer, let me see. Hello, thank you for calling Trek Talk, and what's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hello? 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 Okay, I thought Thank I was you. on hold, but perhaps not. No, you're not on hold. Thank you for calling. What's your name and where you're calling from? Oh, hi. Yes, I am calling from Portland, Oregon. And, yes, my name is Anna. Hi, Anna. Portland, Oregon. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. Yes. Hi. Hi. And what's on and, your mind? Yes, I've just been listening to your talking, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of shocked that I've joined your conversation. But I was going to just point out that I really agreed about needing to look at some of the plot structures over again in whichever, you know, kind of form you may want to do that. I would just suggest, as someone who's also maybe coming from her own perspective, but to get someone who you might just think is, you know, immediately to your mind, like, wouldn't watch Star Trek, yet then when you think about it just a little bit more, it's like, you know what, they actually really would fit into Star Trek. And to kind of maybe make your next writing hire that person, you know what I mean, who could just add just a bit more of maybe a woman's voice mm-hmm. and coming from more of a, what you might call more primal woman's voice, you know. And in that vein, I had a question for you. Just, I've got your attention now. I have been wondering about this. Stuff, and you may think it's completely random. And again, you know, the whole thing, because you're Star Trek, so you can also just be like, okay, you know, you don't really fit into Star Trek and everyone will accept that, but still it gives you a lot of power to accept maybe what may be a new voice. So this may be completely random and not make sense to you, but is there a connection between an earlier Seven and a Chaka Toy that had to do with Seven maybe not just being that creature with a chip in her head, but maybe there are even alternative timelines with her that she could be getting her directions or her consciousness from something that's maybe not mechanical. And again, is her collective society like something that would maybe incorporate those things? You know, and am I reading in stuff that shouldn't be there or 
could you maybe hire maybe more women writers to maybe clarify more of these plots, or am I just missing something because I don't, you know, listen regularly to your show? So anyway, I just thought I would add a very different maybe perspective than you had been talking about. No, not not at all. Thank you so much for calling, and thank you for listening. Eric, you want to jump on that one? Uh, well, I'm always for adding uh, different voices to the writer's room, so I, I absolutely think that is a fantastic idea, and I'm, I'm 100% behind it. And, you know, I, I guess I'll say that this season of Picard is maybe starting for the first time. Well, I can't say for the first time because Parallels back in TNG did the same thing, too. But we're really starting to expand on that idea of the multiverse. And so the idea that there are multiple sevens out there um, with, you know, that aren't all the same, I think is extremely interesting. And the fact that they would all have some similarities and some differences and maybe even a, uh, I don't know, like an energy that passes between them or something that like connects them in some, in some way. Okay. I, think that, I think that could be really interesting too. And so do you think maybe with your knowledge of the episodes out there, there could maybe be another episode somewhere explaining that part? Because she seems to be a character that's coming back and in ways where, you know, now she's commander or whatever. And just some of the logical twists you have, like it is wrenching with this theme with Picard. And it does hit you at a certain level, just horrible we all go through it, and then you don't want to talk about it. But just something about it I didn't like from the beginning. And um, so I agreed a lot with your perspective there. But, you know, if you're going to have that change, like time travel and everything, then, like, right. why do you let Rio stay behind? Or you know what I mean? And right. then he's going to create the mariposas or whatever. And it's just right. sort of like, you know what? This is really selective <laughs> cho- choice. And choosing here, you know, a plot twist. So just to throw that out. And then she's like, Commander, all of a sudden, or something. I don't know. It was just sort of like, what? You know, so anyway, she has, I think, a beautiful role she could play. And it's a really, you know, charismatic actress, very talented. So you might as well go with that. And I think you could probably just dig a little bit deeper, maybe even to her society, because I find the society itself very interesting. And Unless I, you know, I'm missing something I don't know of, maybe an episode on that. You know, like Star Trek in the old days seemed to go more like they visit these civilizations and the people. That was part of the fun. And I feel like you could do that and maybe go back to her planet or something, you know, like back mm. in the day. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Generational or what. But I think also just in this generation, women have been stifled. And you're just really allowing me to talk. For what it's worth, and I really appreciate that. But yeah, there's just been a strange dynamic in some ways at the same time. Anytime the man is, you know, cheering on your movement, you got to start to wonder. And there's just so much cheering on of the women's movement now. It just has nothing to do with women, nothing to do with movement. It's just like, you know, drop out, like discuss. In my opinion, it's become such a parody of itself. So mm-hmm. that's just my opinion. And since you know, it's always been this cultural deviance of Star Trek. And I almost feel like you could just reignite that a little bit, 
you know, in some ways, that are actually very intellectual, so which is also Star Trek, which is why I like you, you know, like, I like Audubon environmentalists, like, you have this nerdy quality to you, but you also need to kind of ring in maybe the nerd, which we all do, you know what I mean, at the same time, so (laughs) that balance, you know, so, yeah, but thank you for allowing for the participation. Absolutely. And I love that, um, you know, Rain in the Nerd, that just reminds me of that short track, that Q&A short track, which uh, if you saw has, you know, number one, the new number one and Spock trapped in the elevator together. And they, uh, through the course of a 15 minute show, they, they discover each other's, what do they call it? Weird or, or I can't, she's like, I don't know that one. Yeah. Yeah, go find it. It's called Q and A. It's a it's a short trek. I think if you go Q&A? to the Discovery, oh, I heard it, but I didn't watch that one. Yeah, Q and A. Okay. If you go to the Discovery thing on Paramount Plus, it's probably in there somewhere. And it's really funny because they they sort of reveal themselves to each other, and then she talks about the importance of like keeping your weird under wraps when you need to oh, yeah. when you need to, totally. you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, just yeah, and realizing when maybe you're needing another voice to, you know, participate too, that just, you know, doesn't keep it under wraps, but offers a different way Uh of seeing it. And not that there's ever going to be one, you know, truthful way. You pointed that out, I think, very well in your discussion, like, you know, classics have different interpretations to them, you know. So, anyway, just makes me think back to the cards again and why it just doesn't work for me. It's one interpretation that I just think is the least probable and it's like the one kind of driven to you. Anyway, see, that's only my perspective and I just feel like it could be, you know, dealt with almost less seriously. It just took itself really seriously in some way, this past Star Trek in a way. It lost some of its humor or zaniness in some ways, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So anyway... I love the show, and I just love this. I love the people, you know, associated with Star Trek. So I don't know how local or um, whatever this organization is, but it's a very strong organization. It seems like you have some really, you know, fun fans involved just here, you know, and who you're talking about. So it's good to see. In this day and age, everything's just changing so much, and it's, you know, strange Mm -hmm. to find just groups of people. Luckily for you (laughs) – I'm all the way up here in Vermont, and uh, Charles is in uh-huh. Las Vegas, but David, Paul, and Eric are all in your right, probably, they might be right down the street from you. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. okay. Well, yeah. I mean, that would be a real coincidence, but, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm in Portland. I'm actually going to be opening up a small business that... Uh, looks to bring in, you know, just a, maybe a bit of a alternate clientele who's interested in certain studies and maybe a, a look back to, you know, New York more in the 70s. And it was really cool. I saw this interview and I'm like, you know what, that's where I want to live. And I don't know. I had a dream after that. And I just, I have enough money in case you're not, for, you know, you're worried. I'm not like homeless on the street thinking of all these, you know, crazy plans. I've been actually a pretty good, successful businesswoman. And I think, I'm going to make something of it. But I'm looking to, yeah, definitely network with Star Trek interests, you know, to put it very broadly. And I don't mean to stereotype, but you've also done this amazing job to bring together a lot of different voices, you know, in kind of a zany way. 
and under the rubric of Star Trek. So it's really cool, you know, and then, and there can be then, like I can be in Portland and unite literally with Star Trek people. So it's possible. Anyway, I don't know the best way to do it. I'll just keep calling into the show, you know, and then after my shop develops, it would be fun to network and stuff. But so anyway, we're here every Thursday night. Okay, awesome. So yeah, I really like this community. And for me, I am a I am a working at home mom at this point. And so it's just fun to kind of get out, you know, on the phone. So this is just a really intellectually stimulating, but just fun group to kind of like, you know, you have your local bar scene or whatever that we don't have anymore. So anyway, this (laughs) would be fun. I will really enjoy calling back Anna in Portland. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for calling. Well, thank you for calling. Okay, thank you. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks for calling. Good night. All right, guys. Well, that was Anna from Portland. So that's four Portlanders. We're, we're vastly Hello. getting outnumbered here. I think Charles. we're doing something right up here. I think, I think Paul was right. It's got to be something in the water. It is. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, you have no got, idea. <laughs> it's gotta be. It's gotta be. You guys are. It's a conspiracy theory. It's like nine one one all wrapped up in a ball. <laughs> it's the, De- the Death Star conspiracy. <laughs> so uh, that pretty much wraps up tonight's show. Um, so let's go around and get our scores. Well, let me see. What did the fan score? The fan score was eight point seven. Eight point seven. All right. So we'll start off with you, Paul. Fans gave it an 8.7. Did I score that right? Yeah, 8.7. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was told there'd be no math. Um, I would. Uh, I would. I would, I would. I would. Yeah, I would. I would give this episode. And again, I'm holding it up against the first three episodes of the season that I thought were really good. I would give this episode a four. You know, um, a lot of it. You know, without beating the drum again on the earlier topic, but just there was like what felt to me like a 20 minute phaser rifle battle of just okay now we're shooting and we're shooting and we're running around and we're shooting and we're shooting and we're shooting and we're shooting and we're shooting. And we're shooting. I just find that my, my just check out on that stuff, man. I'm just like anything involving like, you know, okay, let's shoot at each other and hide behind these walls and shoot again. I'm just like, Oh, good Lord. It's just, uh, again, just doesn't feel to me like Star Trek. It's just, uh, it's kind of a depressing. So uh, that started the episode off on a bad note for me. So I, I, can they all fix everything and wrap it all up in one finale episode? I don't know, because I haven't watched it yet. But, uh, yeah, it, it did not end up in the direction I thought it was going to end up in. Uh, but maybe it still will. So, yeah. But I'll last week's episode it. for me. For I'll me, watch last it week's as episode. As we hang up. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Did not work for me. Um, a big downer. Yeah. So right. a downer of an episode. Four for Paul. How about you, David? One to ten. Uh, originally, I was thinking I was going to be giving it a five, but I might be going lower because everything that we just talked about, I was just like, oh, you know, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I was like, I don't know, because it's, it's, I, I'm thinking I'm probably going to have to go over there with Paul. It's probably about a four. I might give it a 4.5, but yeah, this episode to me was not all that great. <laughs> All right. How about you, Eric? Uh, I wrote down five and a half for this one. Uh, there, I like 
a couple of the places that we got in the episode, but there was a whole ton that I didn't uh, like, and, and I didn't necessarily like how we got to where we got to. So uh, five and a half for me. All right. So we're, 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 we're on a, a, a failure of an episode. How about you, Charles? Uh, I'll go up a little higher in the group, group and go about a 7.25. 7.25. Well, well, I'm way apart. I'm gonna. I was gonna go with a ten. I'm gonna go with a nine. I love this this episode myself for all the reasons that I stated. So um, I'm gonna go with a nine. So we're pretty far apart. Um, I'm a little bit higher than the fans. You guys are a lot lower than the fans. But um, that's all your opinion. Must be that Portland water. It's gotta be that Portland <laughs> water. So um, you know, I just want to remind everybody that Monday night at 7:30. I said this at the top of the show, but I'm going to say it one more time. Uh, 7.30 on Monday night on Trek Talking 2. Paul, who's going to be joining us? Why, we have a very special guest, my friend. Uh, a, a guest from the deep reaches of space. We have a guest who, if you're not careful, will put his hands on your face. <laughs> and he's not going to give you a shiatsu massage. <laughs> <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna try to do something to your memory and mess you up and make you want to work for the FBI in a bad basement Fox Mulder room for the rest of your life. We're talking about Eduardo Roman, the actor who has been uh, dubbed the Mind Meld Vulcan from the Star Trek Picard episode Mercy. And I would have loved to have spent more time with that character <laughs> than well, in uh, John Luke's you wife's mom's aunt's basement. So I can't wait to talk to this guy. <laughs> yes, he's going to be with us on Monday night, guys. So you can call 646-668-2433. He's going to be with us for the whole hour. Oh, so we have a lot guy. to talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah, so have your questions ready, and we're going to have some fun. We're going to be truck talking. It's going to be Vulcan-centric episode. and. Uh, it's- yeah. And you got to figure at that point, it may be even, uh, you know, while we don't formally discuss it until Thursday, it might potentially be a chance maybe to hear some of our initial reactions on the season finale, because I'm pretty sure most of us will have seen it by then. So some of us may not be able to hold our tongues until uh, Thursday, <laughs> depending on what maybe we'll be seeing more of Eduardo in this episode. Who knows? Well, I don't know. I'm thinking uh, Strange New Worlds myself. I've already seen it. I'm going to go watch them both again. But at any rate, guys, uh, make sure you tune in on Monday night at 730 and head over to our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. We love to hear from you guys. We love to hear the opinions of our fans and our followers. And you can do that at our Facebook page, Truck Talking and Beyond. You have to spell that all out. And every week I ask you guys, the fans, what did you think about the episode? I'm going to be putting up two polls. I'll be putting one up for tonight's episode of Picard, uh, the title I'm not sure of. And I'll be putting one up for the premiere of Strange New Worlds, which is called Strange New Worlds. And you guys can tell us what you thought about those episodes on a scale of 1 to 10. And on next week's show, we'll give the final score. So please go and do that. We'd love to hear from you guys. And I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, and I want to say thank you so much to our our Portland crew. We'll start off with Anna for calling in from Portland. Thank you so much, Anna. We'd love to hear from you guys. And also, thank you to David, who's also in Portland, for hanging out with us and truck talking. Thank you, David. You're welcome. I'm going to go get some of that water now. 
Yeah, we're going to have to bottle it up and sell it, I think, you know. And uh, also we want to say thank you to Paul, the wine guy, who is also in Portland. Thank you so much for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Paul. It's my pleasure, Uncle Jim. Thanks for uh, managing the uh, the crazy, uh, wild uh, thoughts and opinions of the crew. Uh, great to get a chance to uh, share conversation, as always. And that's that's what we're all about. So that's what we try to do and uh, have fun doing it. No name calling, no attacks, just opinions and fun and trek talking. And of course, the one, the only original Portlander, Eric. Thank you for hanging out and trek talking with us, Eric. Uh, you better believe it. And watch out, Jim. We're growing. We're growing. Soon we will take over the Northwest. I'm telling you now. Now we got four <laughs> Portlanders. I'm telling you, me, 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 and Charles are in trouble. And of course, <laughs> last but not least, our very own Charles from Las Vegas. Thank you for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight, Charles. Oh, thank you. Great time to be a Trekkie. We got so much, absolutely. And I just want to remind you guys: next week we're going to be talking about the season finale of Picard, which is on tonight, and the premiere of Strange New Worlds, which is also on tonight, which I already saw, and I can't wait to tell you guys what I thought about it. So stay tuned. Tune in on Monday night to talk with Eduardo Roman, the Mind Meld Vulcan. That's going to be a lot of fun. Visit our Facebook page at Truck Talking and Beyond. And that's all I have for you guys. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, saying please be good to each other and stay safe. Star Trek fans are the best fans. Hailing frequencies are closed. Good night, everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye. Live long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.